0: Welcome to the Faily Tale Show. I'm your host and curator of fails, Akash Manthar. In this show, we have conversations with our very accomplished guests about their tales of fails. Let's jump right in and start learning from the collective failures of humanity because it's story time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Faily Tale Show. Joining us today to share their tale of fail is Kazi Zaman. Kazi is currently the Chief Development Officer at Shoreline.io, working on real-time automation and control for cloud operations. Kazi was previously at companies such as EA, EMC, Yahoo, and Oracle. I know Kazi from my time at EA, and the best just-in-time advice that he gave me, very discreetly, I must add, uh, and this is the gist of it. This wasn't exactly what he said, but this is what he really meant. Or I think that's what he meant, is uh, shut up and listen. Uh, and he was right. Uh, so welcome to the show, Kazi.
1: Hi, Akash. It's uh, fantastic to be spending some time with you and your audience today. I'm a big fan. Uh, just,
0: oh, thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's really good to have you on the show, Kazi. Um, we usually like to jump right in in the show and just jump into the failures so what what failures do you have for us today
1: yeah i have uh interesting stories to share with you today so i think when we talked about me being on the show one of the things which stuck with me is you know let's really talk about our failures which are truly failures not you know you go to an interview and someone asks you what's your biggest weakness and you say i work too hard you know the humble brag is failure mode. the humble brags yeah So I figured, let me talk about something which cannot possibly be spun as a success. And yet, you remember many years and many cases, many decades after the incident happened. And so, you know, for all the engineers out there, I'm going to talk about what happens when a system you're responsible for goes down and has bad impacts uh, in many cases on, you know, lots of people around the globe. Yep. So I'll talk about an incident which happened back when I was at Yahoo. I think, uh, Akash, I think you were at Yahoo too. But for the younger members of the audience who may not remember Yahoo, at the time when Akash and I were at Yahoo, it was one of the largest web properties on the world. I mean, Yahoo and uh, Google were mentioned in the same breath. 40% of searches in the world went through uh, Yahoo. And, you know, Yahoo Mail was the biggest mail service in the world. So that's the context I'm setting for all of you. Because, you know, I hope people know about Yahoo, but we can't take anything for granted in 2022.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll let you go ahead. But Yahoo was such a cool place to work, man. It was just amazing. Like the vibe was second to none. So, yeah, I, I definitely miss Yahoo from that perspective.
1: He agreed. And, you know, Yahoo's color was purple. And I think like Akash and I still bleed purple. That's what he means. Yeah. So
0: Yeah, basically, basically. And my favorite color is also purple, so it didn't hurt.
1: So again, interestingly, at Yahoo, so at that point of time on the globe, Yahoo was one of the, as I said, biggest services in the world. It was my first gig as an engineering manager. And I was in charge of this project called Data Highway. So Data Highway sounds very cool. And it was very cool. And it may sound uh, like something which should be taken for granted today but for its time it was really new and cutting edge so this was before the era of real-time streaming data and you know yahoo was internet property with uh, yahoo finance yahoo mail yahoo search and it was collecting huge volumes of data and everybody wanted to analyze the data But prior to the real-time streaming world, all of this used to be done via batch processes. So the interesting thing about Data Highway was, is that you would install a software agent sitting on every front-end web server, no matter where on the globe it was, and Yahoo had 30 global data centers all around the globe, and you would collect this data and you would stream it into a central data center for processing in real-time. So this was the project uh, I was working on and I was responsible for. And it was a really big deal. And we had had a lot of early success. So we were rolling it out in stages. And, you know, we had already been rolled out in Yahoo Finance, Yahoo Search. Things were going smoothly. And then we went to Yahoo Mail. And it was October 2006. So you can see that I still remember the... Month and year, 16 years later. So it's clearly had impact on my side. The scar is pretty deep, huh? Yeah, and the scar is deep. And we rolled out and we really weren't expecting anything to happen. When suddenly, you know, the guy in charge of ops for Yahoo Mail. Very sweet guy, nice guy said, hey, I don't know whether you guys are aware of this, but your agent is call is causing a problem, and you know CPU is spiking on Yahoo Mail servers, and whoever's logging onto those servers is having a terrible experience. So we all tried to jump in and take a look at what was happening, and indeed, CPU was up, and uh, we were wondering why, and CPU being up means actual users trying to access their mail are having a bad experience. And so we had to make the decision, which was extremely painful, that, okay, let's roll back. We have to roll back the deployment and we need to figure out what's going on. And that was, of course, extremely painful because Yahoo Mail was as visible a service from Yahoo you can get. And we really, really wanted that deployment to go smoothly. So what happened? And we dived in and uh, from the root cause, there were lots of things which I've carried with me throughout my career from that incident. So I think for your user, for the, all the people listening, there's the when you deploy a software system, there's the software which your team writes, and there's all the dependent software that you're building on top of. And all of this needs to come together seamlessly for the software to work effectively as a system. So when we dug into this, what had really happened? So when you think about the architecture of what's involved over here, imagine you have a huge fleet of Yahoo mail servers and they're sending data to a single box, which is a data highway box. Now, if the rate at which you're sending data and you cannot be sustained, there will be data piling up on the source box. Now, in many cases, you can handle it by saying, okay, too much data has piled up, we'll simply drop data. But in this case, what had happened is we were using a software package called Ynet. And for all the ex-Yahoo's out there, you know that all the Yahoo, Yahoo software is all the packages start with Y. And Ynet had a feature called spooling. And what that did was it would spill to disk all the extra data you have, which is actually a very cool feature because then when the backup is no longer there, all the data is not lost and is sent forward. But it turns out that spooling was an experimental feature in Ynet. And we had left it turned on by default. So the accountability is, of course, on the application provider, which is us. But there's a pretty subtle interaction between you, the builder of the software and the system, and the underlying platform packages you're responsible for. And so there are, you know, lots of deep learnings from this, which is, In many cases, you're using software not dependent on you. I think another example which probably everyone who's an engineer here has had to deal with is when Heartbleed happened in roughly, I don't know, 2014, 2015. You all know what it is. a security bug in SSL library, maintained by six people on the globe, but used by every software package on the planet. Everybody has to scramble and figure out how to fix it. So, you know, when you're picking up software packages from other people, the onus is completely on you. To ensure that the package is doing what you intend and is working completely according to what you want it to do, which is leading to the second part. As engineers, we like to, you know, love our code, love the code we write. But configuration is as important as code is. So if you had turned spooling off, you wouldn't have had any problems. But, you know, we do code reviews and code reviews get heated personal things. And, you know, lots of people come in and look at the code with a, you know, with a microscope. But config, which will impact the system equally, is completely neglected. Nobody really looks at config in a serious way. But config is really important. Most people, there may be the case that you're deploying a system and no one's actually looked at the default config. and You're running some default config to the end of time and you don't even really understand what's going on. So the importance of, uh, you know, config and config being equal in statuses to code is something which I took away as a pretty deep learning from that. And the other thing is, is that, you know, at the end of the day, scale is, uh, there are things which will happen in scale which you're not prepared for. Now, the interesting thing is, even though we had rolled out in finance and, uh, you know, other properties, big properties like search. I think mail was pretty unique. Mail was still the biggest property. And I remember there was a, you were talking about FIFA in one of your previous episodes. Right. There are things which happen at huge scale that you're always going to be unprepared for. So whenever you're doing a launch at massive scale, it behooves you to be extra paranoid and figure out what are the extra load tests, scale tests, if you're doing something at a scale you've never done it before, you need to be paranoid and think of all the things which could possibly go wrong and proactively test for them. And it's quite interesting given that, you know, how Yahoo handled this. I think there's an interesting story. After I was at Data Highway, I was part of the Hadoop team at Yahoo. And now uh, Hadoop is also a distributed system which, you know, operates at massive scale. And I think, though, Yahoo, the deployment model for Hadoop was predicated on the fact that we know that there will be failures at scale. So there used to be a cluster called Axonite, which was a thousand nodes. Then there used to be Nitro, uh, which used to be around 5,000 nodes, and the production clusters like Dilithium, uh, which would also be a 5,000 node scale. But you would deploy to Axonite knowing that things were going to go wrong. And then when you went to the nitros of the world, all the people with non-production workloads would just hammer it left and right. And so you'd go a scale hardening cycle. By the time you reach production, you were hammered out all the problems. Now, I'm sure the astute listeners in this audience will immediately put up their hands and say, "Uh, but Kazi, you know that running a thousand node test cluster is rather expensive. Yeah, is you know that's another thing you learn is is what are the trade-offs between deploying any software system and trade-offs on availability, scalability, and performance. There's all a you know huge trade-off over here between cost, availability, and how much you want to invest. Like the interesting thing about working at Yahoo was is, is that there was BCP business continuity planning for all systems, so you effectively had two copies of all the systems, and if one went down, you'd be running in another data center on the globe. Now, the interesting thing is is, is that if you look at something like uh, whenever there's an outage in AWS in US East 1, and you see the number of internet properties which are down completely, you'll notice that not everyone shares Yahoo's philosophy of BCP. Because again, BCP has a trade-off. And the trade-off is, yes, you'll spend more money, but you will get uptime. And again, for the listeners of this podcast who weren't around in 2001, an interesting story from 2001, 9-11, is 9-11 came as a complete shock to the system. And at that point of time, everyone naturally wanted to get news. Yahoo was perhaps one of the only sites in the world which stayed up on 9-11. I remember clicking refresh on all the sites sites I had on my browser. That point of time was only Internet Explorer. But Yahoo was one of the few, things, few places which actually held up. So lots of learnings I had uh, from this particular incident, and, you know, I think it's informed my philosophy and, you know, system building, preparing for deployments and all that kind of stuff uh, over the years.
0: That's a very interesting story. And I did not know about Yahoo was one of the only news sites which actually uh, stayed up. So. I was gonna ask you a question about how do you balance speed versus through, thorough due diligence? But I think you answered that by taking it through that production-like environment, which is non-prod and just completely gets hammered. Um, but there could still be things to figure out. So I, I guess you can still be fast and just catch it over there. Uh, the Other one was, what was the impact to the users? Like what percentage of users could not access their mail or like how quickly or how late did you figure it out?
1: So this is actually a great example a great question and I think it's a very timely example. I think Yahoo Mail obviously followed a very, very structured process. So they would roll it out in a certain number of racks. So the good good news is, is they did not simultaneously push it to, you know, the whole Yahoo base. So it would be one fraction of users in one data center somewhere who got impacted. And given that the time to detect was relatively soon, less than an hour in this case, the impact was, you know, not as bad as it could have been. Now the reason why this also comes to mind is this is uh, for all of you following the events at Twitter over the last couple of weeks. When you look at how blue check verification was simultaneously rolled out to everybody, when it clearly had basic bugs where it fundamentally didn't work and you would have all seen the funny tweets from Coca-Cola, Eli Lilly and the like. Uh, There's a lot of benefit in stage rooms. And I think that uh, the fact that, you know, Yahoo Mail had extremely structured processes actually helped us over.
0: I see. I see. Wow. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good learning uh, and something that listeners who are more in the tech side can definitely take through. I heard you had another learning for us today, another fail and another learning.
1: Of course. So I think in a similar theme, I think... Uh, So the story I gave you is from 2006, which was actually the pre-cloud era. At that point of time, AWS had yet yet to be founded. It was founded around the same time, if you check the history. I think they were founded in 2006. Mm -hmm. So one of the big things and big promises when people get very excited is, hey, you know, you're going to be building on top of cloud. So everything's awesome. You'll have, you know, infinite elasticity. And if anything goes down, you just spin up something else and things will become better. So I think the interesting story is, is, you know, the next failure I want to talk about is many years later. But, you know, many of the same lessons still hold because you're now building on top of a different set of cloud abstractions, so to speak. And if you're not completely, I guess the lesson I'd say again is, is you need to be completely familiar. Like in the data highway case, we had to understand why net. When you're actually building on top of cloud, there are a lot of internal details about the cloud that you as an application developer need to be familiar with otherwise it will come to bite you at scale at the worst possible time so this is you know thanksgiving weekend at ea 5 years ago and that ea i was responsible for the data systems and we were running a hadoop cluster now we were in the cloud, and we talked about Hadoop earlier. I think one of the architectural things about Hadoop is you have a local disk attached to the, you know, the node, and the local disk is uh, where you're writing all the data. Now, for at that point of time, AWS didn't really have instances with uh, large local disk, because and for very good reason, they want to stack as many nodes as possible inside, you know, a data center, and local disk will make the unit size larger. So at that point of time, we had a Hadoop cluster. The Hadoop cluster was, uh, instead of local disk, was running using EBS. Now, the interesting thing about Thanksgiving for all you gamers out there, I'm sure there are lots of gamers in this audience over here, is, you know, you have lots of new releases of new content drops, new games get released, and everyone is preparing for the fact there's a four-day weekend, so there are lots of games to, games to play. So what happens? More people play games, more data gets generated, and we had to write more data. Now, interestingly, as a user of EBS, I don't know how many EBS users you have out there, there's something called burst credits. And if you run out of burst credits, you will no longer be able to write to EBS. And so at the worst possible time, at a time of peak failures, we can no longer write to disk. So you'll say, it's okay. The natural thing to do is, okay, increase the EBS volume size and you know, ask for more burst credits, which is naturally what we did. And now AWS has a throttle on how, much you, how many burst credits you can ask for and how quickly you can do this because they actually have underlying systems and these underlying systems are not magic. They're systems like your systems or my systems. And guess what? Their system had bugs too and couldn't handle our requests. So we had to reach out to AWS and say, hey, high priority, lift the throttle, help us do this. So they lift the throttle and uh, we start increasing the volume sizes and adding that. But then it turns out that modifying volumes is making them larger, is not that a common an operation when you do it very rapidly. So we uncovered another bug in the underlying system. (laughs) And all of this is happening at the worst possible time because for a data system, you want to process the data in order because you're doing windows day over day stuff like that so you don't want to process the data out of order and the backlog is going bigger and we are multiplying now juggling between multiple aws teams to recover this and you know gamers are generating more and more data so again it's a very memorable uh, failure because it shows you that you know the underlying abstractions, which I think, I think, uh, I forget, maybe I think it was Joel Spolsky who talked about the law of leaky abstractions. I don't know if your users have heard of him, but back again, back in the day, I mean, he wrote a very, very popular blog. But the abstraction of, you know, the cloud and the cloud, you will write the cloud and you will write and you won't get a failure. That's not true. You actually do need to know the details of the internals of what's happening over here because at sufficient scale, again, this is going to come and bite you. So it's an interesting uh, incident and failure, which has a a decade apart from the previous story I told you about, but you know, lots of commonalities.
0: Yeah, for sure. Instead of it being a software that you had bought into your application, this is your application running on exactly uh, the cloud. So exactly. yeah. Exactly. So for the, for the listeners who don't know, EBS is uh, Elastic Block Storage. It is a storage service provided by AWS. So. Um the question then is, um, what happened to all those logs? Because if you're not able to write them to the disk, which is essentially the hard disk for the computer, like did you lose them?
1: No. So I think if you look at the data pipeline, what happens is the incoming head of the pipeline was fine. Here what was you're basically doing business logic and transformations. So the business logic and transformations got delayed, which is of course the worst possible time for it to be delayed because everyone's very keen to know how their game new game update is doing and that kind of thing.
0: I see. So it was a so, data processing, not necessarily the data coming in.
1: It's a data delay problem. So basically, okay. you know, analytical results, you know, the results of your analysis and all, and it just ends up getting delayed because the data processing is slow. But again, it's, uh, I think that's the interesting thing is, is that uh, the, these things tend to happen to you at events where something changes in the system. And the big change which happens in the system is, is you have much more volume on Thanksgiving as a gamer you also know you have much more volume at christmas and these are the worst times for system failures to happen because everyone's on vacation (laughs) yep but that's what will happen because that's when the changes to the system happen in a significant way sharp spikes
0: especially in the gaming industry right the peak usage is around thanksgiving around new year's and christmas break or the holiday season or even the weekends i'm We had this uh, outage, Um, the marketplace system that we worked on um, at EA was adopted by Apex and Apex blew up really well on the first weekend. We had scaled it up because we didn't know how many users to scale it up to, to a pretty high number. And then it snowed. It was a weekend. I was shoveling my driveway. I get a call from my team to say, the system's getting too hot. There are too many people coming in too fast. It's going to fall over. Uh, And then you come in and you're trying to firefight. And just before I was able to scale the system up, it did go down for a few minutes. And then we're like, hang on, let's just understand what the root cause of this was. We found the root cause, scaled it up, and we're okay. But yeah, and all the stuff, at least in gaming industry, happens on weekends or nights.
1: I think our friends in the e-commerce industry will also see similar patterns. I mean, They're going to have back Friday and all of that coming up. Yeah. It always happens at the wrong time.
0: I was, I was always curious, like this is, I learned this at uh, Halo, like all of the changes that they did was at like 4am on a f- Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I was like, why do you do that? And the reason was again, similar. The blast radius is much smaller. There are not very few people playing the game at 4am Pacific time on Tuesday, which is like noon in like UK and stuff. So you get few days. To catch any issues and you never do releases close to a weekend because any change can topple the system over so that's another learning i got like do do your releases on tuesday that was great kazi uh any other learnings or any final words of wisdom for our listeners
1: i think again i think we talked about things being uh, caused by system changes i think another fun story which i'll keep short is sometimes doing nothing also leads to problems i think uh, while we were at- yeah in many cases in the you know there's been a high profile beta launch, and suddenly you discover some critical system people didn't renew a certificate, and then we says, Oh, we really need to automate this, and we'll put a team together to automate this, but you know you put the team together and they get distracted or have to fight some other fire and then two years ago or two years later again you're dealing with something like as simple as an expired certificate. So in some cases, yes, load changes in some cases, you know, simply doing nothing leads to problems too, which is why I'd say is that, look, at the end of the day, you need to automate and, you know, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And that's why I'm at a company like Shoreline where that's what the mission is. But, you know, parting words of wisdom today's, you know, don't push code just before Thanksgiving. Uh, Keep your system stable and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, to all the engineers out there and everyone else, great Thanksgiving. Hope it's quiet and hope your phone doesn't ring at 3 a.m.
0: Yeah.
1: Pleasure to here, Akash. Really enjoyed
0: it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. And thank you for your time. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fairly Tale Show. Until next time, keep learning.